With the holiday season here, a great way to spend fun time with family and not talk about politics is to do puzzles and play games together. Inked Gaming is a one-stop shop built by and for people who love games. Whether you're in the mood for a board game like Catan or Ticket to Ride or an outer space dinosaur puzzle, head over to Inked Gaming. They also have mouse pads, play mats, dice bags, and other essential gaming goods. Inked Gaming has a wide variety of awesome pre-designed artwork in their collection, all from talented independent artists from around the world. And all artists on Inked Gaming receive a commission for sales with their designs. Inked also makes custom products that you can personalize with your own unique style. So if you're looking for a gift for your game night crew, friend, or just a way to make your own gaming setup a little cooler, check them out. Inked is giving Nocturne listeners 10% off. All you have to do is head over to inkedgaming.com nocturne and use the code nocturne when you're ready to check out. The discount will then automatically apply to your order. Again, that's inkedgaming.com nocturne and use the code nocturne. This episode is also brought to you with support from StoryWorth. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear and the ones you've heard a lot. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? StoryWorth makes it fun and easy. StoryWorth is offering $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com nocturne. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like... What's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or what's the farthest you've traveled? Then, after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos into an attractive hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake. I loved reading the answers when I did this with my mom, and then again when my son did it with his dad. And it's fun to imagine my great-great-grandkids reading the first-person accounts down through the generations— like how my partner lived in Colombia with his family for a year when he was a little kid, and how he hates asparagus because of how much of it he picked and ate during that time. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash nocturne today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash nocturne to save $10 on your first purchase. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Sometimes when I'm walking and I see a particularly beautiful or interesting tree, I'll stop and just look. It's an instantly grounding experience, bringing me solidly into the present earthbound moment. My son has always been a tree climber, and I love to watch him gracefully make his way up into the crown. But I never even imagined the kind of tree climbing that Peter Jenkins does for fun. There are two very exciting things you can do. One of the things that I'd like to do from time to time is what we call tree surfing. So here's how it works. You do this on a windy day. Now I'm not talking about lightning storms and I'm not talking about hurricanes. I'm talking about, oh, 15 mile per hour winds, maybe 20 mile per hour winds if you want a little bit more intense of an experience. 
So you set up your lines and you set up your rope before the windy climb. And you climb into the tree while the wind is passing through the canopy. If you think it's noisy on the ground when the wind's passing through the canopy, wait until you climb up into the tree where the sound is being produced. It is dramatically noisier, the trees moving and twisting and bowing here and bowing there. It's quite the ride. We call that tree surfing. That's when you ride the winds in the trees. And then a flying traverse is where you go high into a tree and you actually walk out on a branch and when you jump off, you swing. And you want it to where you swing into midair. And sometimes you can set it up to where you can swing to a neighboring tree. But you have to set this up correctly because you don't want to do George of the Jungle. You don't want to jump off the branch and then go smash into a tree. That's a no-no, okay? When you do a flying traverse, we're talking about an adrenaline rush. However, it's not a fear adrenaline rush. It's sort of like a roller coaster ride because you're hanging from a rope, so you're under control. We do it for fun. Uh, it, it's just something that we set up to um, heighten the experience. My name is Peter Jenkins and my tree climbing name is Tree Man. I am located in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the most heavily forested major city in America. We have so many trees here. I am a certified arborist and my other business is Tree Climbers International, and that is a tree climbing school. I was the very first tree climbing school that opened up for general public. I, that was about 35 years ago. You can get a good sense of Peter's playful spirit by the school's motto, which is printed on the front of their T-shirts. Get high, climb trees. We are not talking about getting high on dope or drugs. We're talking about literally getting high in the treetops. A former rock climber, Peter actually set out to invent the sport of tree climbing. He's been featured in Life magazine, National Geographic, and Sports Illustrated, to name a few. He was also featured in a short film from 1995 hosted by Robert Fulgham, who famously wrote All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. The film is called Tickle the Sky. All this to say, Peter Jenkins knows and loves tree climbing. And he's been sharing the experience widely for almost four decades. I'll teach all ages from six years old to into their 80s how to climb trees with a rope and saddle. How many people have I taken into the trees? Tens of thousands. These days, Peter is focused on teaching new tree professionals how to climb without hurting themselves or property. But it started with just wanting to share the joy of climbing trees safely and ethically. Yes, ethically. There's a whole section about this on his website. But the most important rule is don't harm the tree. So Peter teaches people to climb with a rope and saddle, and never, ever with leg spikes. Leg spikes are those things that you put on your feet, like it, you see telephone pole climbers use to climb up and down poles. Leg spikes are fine and dandy for trees that are you taking down, but for trees that are going to be pruned and trees that you want to preserve, you do not want to use leg spikes. In addition to caring for trees as an arborist and teaching folks how to climb trees, Peter has also been known to rescue stuck drones, cats, and the occasional tree activist. 
And he's done it all without him or anyone else falling out of a tree. I have a no-fall record, which I am very proud of. I've never fallen out of a tree, and that includes when I did my tree work and all my tree climbing school activities. With all these years of recreational tree climbing, zero injuries, no fallouts. And that's all because as we introduced tree climbing to the world, we set up some pretty high standards, and that keeps people from getting hurt. You may be thinking right now, why would you need to have someone teach you how to climb a tree? Most kids just do it on their own. Well, when you're a child, you're climbing, usually climbing trees that have a ladder-like structure, branch structure, something that you can, you know, do hands over hands. When you're climbing the big trees, the big oak trees, the, the redwoods, the other trees that are super, super tall with no branches for like 100 feet, it's a different experience and you have to have technique. Peter has climbed trees all over the world, including the sixth largest tree in the world at the time, a sequoia in Northern California. But big or small, he appreciates them all for their individual treeness. I have a, a very, very deep connection with trees. Trees talk to you, not like in English or a language, but they have ways of interacting with you. And when I do tree inspections, I say, do you like this tree? And they say, oh, I love my tree. I said, do you have a name for this tree? And they're going like, hmm, a name for my tree. I said, yeah, yeah, you, you have a personal relationship with this tree. It deserves a name. If you love your tree, you need to name the tree. So the main appeal to climbing trees is first off, when you climb trees, it's sort of like touching base with your childhood. The second thing is you're climbing in height. And a lot of people like the idea of climbing away from the humdrum of the regular world. It's a very calm place to be. It's not tense. It's, it's certainly nothing like rock climbing where you're conquering the rocks. Uh, you're conquering the rock climbing route. With trees, it's like you're going into the tree to be with the tree. It's quite a different approach. And when you get up into the canopy of the tree and you get away from what I call the, um, the groundlings, you enter into a different space, a different world. When you climb up into the tree canopy, you very quickly understand you're being with the tree a very, very big shift because when you climb into the canopy of the tree, you're climbing into the brain of the tree. And when I mean brain of the tree is with humans, our intelligence is located pretty close to where food is taken in. When you climb into the canopy of the tree, you're climbing an organism into the area where they're, they're eating. And what they're eating is sunlight. So it's a, it's a whole different mindset of uh, being in the tree. It's spiritual in a sense of you're in the brain of a different organism. You're essentially in the intelligence of that organism, and that is the canopy of the tree. And it, it changes. Everything changes when you're up there. 
So how does one get up to the canopy of, say, a 350-foot-tall tree? The steps to climbing trees. Tree climbing 101. What do you need to do? So the first thing you need to do is you need to know how to tie knots. So at low grounds, you need to practice your knots. Second thing, you approach your tree, you look at your tree, you look for any dead branches, any hangers, or anything like that. You want to make sure that your tree is safe to climb. But to actually climb a tree, step one, you need to get your rope over a branch. That's step one. And you do this with a throw line and a throw weight. And it's usually about 40 or 50 feet up. So I'll rock it back and forth. I'll launch my throw weight. And um, usually I'll miss on the first ones. Some people actually use a bow and arrow to get their rope over really high branches. So the weight goes over a branch. The weight comes back down to the ground. Next step is you tie your rope to the throw line. Now you're going to pull your rope over the tree. Now, one thing we're very particular about, and that is we don't want our rope running bare against a branch. What happens when you run a bare rope on a branch is the friction of that rope moving on the branch damages the bark. And depending on what species of tree that you're climbing, if you're climbing a thin bark tree like a sycamore tree or an American beech tree that has really thin bark, you can really hurt the bark and you could kill the branch. So we use what we call a cambium saver. And this is essentially a rope sleeve. We slip our rope into this rope sleeve and then we tie a slip knot so we have, we attach the throw line to... As mentioned, Peter has been teaching tree climbing for a very long time, and he goes granular, which is what keeps everyone safe. It's also what combats the inevitable fear that can come to call when one is hundreds of feet up a tree with the breeze blowing beneath your feet. Here's the funny thing about heights and trees. So some people will say, well, I'm afraid of heights. I said, well, good, that's good. That means you're normal. And they say, are you afraid of heights? And I say, absolutely. When you have a, a certain amount of fear of heights, that makes you honest. That makes you pay attention. So it's okay. In fact, that's part of the adrenaline factor is to have the fear of heights. However, as I tell my students, if you ever become afraid of heights while you're in the tree, there are two things you need to look at to get the fear to sort of like dissipate. And this is what you do. The first thing you look at is what your rope is looped over. We call it an anchor point. So you check your anchor point. And the second thing you do is you check your knots. And if the anchor point's good and your knots are good, then you can sort of back off on the tension. You can back off of that fear thing and just say, hey, I'm good. For a guy like Peter, who loves spending time in and up trees, it's only natural that he'd want to spend as much time up there as possible. That means sleeping in trees. How many times have I slept in a tree? A couple hundred times? I'd say a couple hundred times. The first time I slept in a tree was as a child. We had a double trunk hackberry tree in the front yard. It had two trunks. And my dad put a sleeping deck 
about a four by eight sheet of plywood with two by fours on the bottom and he attached it to the tree. I climbed up with a ladder, this is before ropes, and I'd spend the night in the trees. Now what I did not have as a child was climbing big tall trees and sleeping in really big tall trees. That I didn't have. I was, as a child, I was 20 feet off the ground. But it's different climbing a tall tree. And that was about five years into the recreational tree climbing. The first thing I used was um, a rock climbing tool called a porta ledge. It's a, it's a single suspension ledge that the rock climbers use when they're climbing rock faces. That was because I was a rock climber, I had one. And um, I took it in about uh, 80 feet into a tree and spent the night. And then it started catching on um, the idea of sleeping in trees, you know, through the, the, the recreational tree climbing group. And then a designer came out and designed this thing called a tree boat. And this is a very lightweight, easily portable hammock that's four corner suspension hammock that you can tie up into a tree on two to four suspension points. And this one was more comfortable because it was soft fabric and is easy to hike it into the trees. When planning to sleep in a tree, Peter explains that you set up the climbing ropes in daylight and then ascend before it gets dark. You always do a reconnaissance climb before you you spend the night up a tree. If you're gonna sleep in the tree, you need to have climbed that tree previously because what you don't wanna find when you climb a tree to set up camp is dead branches, widow makers, hangers, hornets, angry squirrels. Uh, you wanna make sure that it's gonna be safe when you go up in the nighttime. Then, once up in the treetops, as the sun goes down, you'll see it going down and going down, and it, it goes down pretty slow. The, the time perception is it's a slow sundown, and you'll see all the different colors just, just change right in front of your eyes. It is like, wow. And then it, it seems like it takes forever, and then all of a sudden, the black comes in, the darkness comes in but it seems like a long time before that happens. Because you're in tree time. When you take away sight, everything slows down. Everything slows down to a crawl. 15 minutes is felt like an hour. It just snakes by. And you keep looking at your watch, it's one o'clock in the morning. And then you sort of doze off and you're thinking like, oh, morning time. And you look at your watch and it's 1.30 and you're going like, okay, our tree time, I get it. It's all different. Now, if you're in a tree boat or a hammock, you're moving. Your, your tree is moving, so you, you're sort of going up and down and to the side and to the side. You're rocking this way and you're rocking that way. So as the canopy branches move, you are moving with it. Now, if it's a bona fide windstorm, it's tense. The trees are nervous and scared. Uh, you're a little bit nervous and scared and everything's thrashing around. It's pretty scary. 
but low volumes, 10 to 15 mile per hour winds, very, very soothing. It can almost rock you to sleep. It can almost, you know, put you out sometimes. But I will say this about sleeping in trees. It's not a heavy sleep. <laughs> it is not a heavy sleep at all. Uh, you are assaulted by so many stimulations up in the trees. You're capturing sound from way far away. You're capturing sounds that sometimes can sound alien. You're in the canopy to where you don't have all these objects absorbing sound. When you're on the ground, you have all these objects like houses and, and shrubs and trees that absorb sound. But when you climb into a high tree, you're experiencing sounds that are otherworldly. Clickings and swishings. The natural sounds, of course, is the tree talking, uh, where the wind passes through the tree. Now, trees have voices too. Okay, so we talk with air going through our voice box, right? Trees talk with wind passing through their branches. So trees have different conversations. Uh, you get a, a gentle breeze going through the, the canopy of the tree and you're in the canopy where the sound is being made. It's sort of a, sort of a, Very soft, very gentle sound, very calming sound. Now, when you turn the volume up just a little bit, the conversation sort of changes. A little bit more vigorous conversation. However, I have intentionally climbed trees during windstorms, and the conversation there is a conversation of fear. And it's very loud, it's a very loud roaring sound, and the trees are actually frightened because winds can take trees down. So dreaming's real different in the trees because you never get a deep sleep. It's a very, very light sleep. So you're dreaming, it's usually much more vivid and your dream content is certainly altered and the dreams are yeah they're out there they're <laughs> they're not mainstream dreams sometimes there will be like floating dreams I'm floating I'm, I'm, sometimes I, they're water dreams I'm in water essentially I am in water I'm in an air current but they're not scary dreams they're just the content is way different from sleeping on the ground while the sounds of wind are present in the canopy no matter where a tree stands, other sounds are highly variable depending on location, particularly at night when the overall din fades away. The sounds at night in a treetop depends on where you're climbing. If you're out in a really natural area, way far away from cities, then you get the nature sounds. But climbing in the city, I live about two miles away from a freeway. And when I'm in the top of a tree, because I am above the sound absorbing objects, I'm catching sounds from far away. So I hear the racers, the street racers. Then I hear the motorcycles. 
really loud. Then, invariably, I hear gunshots. Sometimes it'd be a boom, 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 boom. I say, oh, there goes a 12 gauge. Oh, Beretta, oh, 223, okay. Oh, there was an AR. And I'll count them. I'll count the shots. You know, I'll count the clips. And I hear all through the night gunshots. I hear people unloading full clips. And these are miles away. Sometimes I hear siren sounds after the gunshot sounds. Sometimes, but very often, it's just the guns. It's, um, it's sort of disconcerting, the amount of gunfire I hear in the trees. Now, bird sounds, of course, you hear a different set of bird sounds at night. Um, I'm always alert for the owls. That's the ones I'm always waiting for, because I'm an owl caller. So I'm in Rocky Mountain National Park, and um, I decided I'm going to go up the side of a mountain, and these two skinny pine trees were there, and I got about 30 feet off the ground, I set up my hammock, and I'm lying in my hammock, and um, I heard this owl down in the valley, and I decided, oh, let's mimic the owl, let's, let's call the owl, see if I can call him to my tree. I'm a bird watcher, okay? So, but with this owl, um, I had a little problem. And that is, I really didn't know what species of owl I was calling. So what I heard was, ooh, 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 a five hooter. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, and so I started mimicking this owl, right? And all of a sudden, it didn't take but 30 seconds, 45 seconds, this owl is coming right at me. About a six, seven foot wingspan. It was a great horned owl. I had called up a great horned owl, which is really not the species you want to call to your tree because they're very aggressive. And it came right at me. And it flew around. It, that's why I started flailing my arms because, you know, hey, whoa, 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 wait, I'm not an owl, please, please. And he landed about eight feet from my head in one of the pine trees I was tied off on. And we had an hour conversation. He would hoot and I would hoot. I can't even see this owl. It's so dark. The moon wasn't up or anything. And so, but I just repeat and I'm just sort of hoping like, well, you know, I know who you are. Who, who, who you are. Uh, let's talk a little bit. We had about an hour conversation, and then his mate down in the valley went, who, 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 like, who, who are you talking to? <laughs> and he flew off. He went, he went back to his mate down in the valley. So the moral of that story is don't do a five hooter. Do a who cooks for you. Okay, and then he goes, who, Ooh, 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 ooh. Who cooks for you? Who cooks for you? Wow! That is a uh, barred owl. And barred owls are very, very common, and they're very docile, and they are non-aggressive, and they're curious. And they will come right to your tree, and you don't have to worry about these three-inch talons ripping you apart. They'll just talk to you. You just... Talk to them, and they'll talk to you. Peter and his fellow tree campers have had uneventful encounters with possums and raccoons, who generally hightail it when humans enter the scene. But there are a few other curious visitors. 
one of my climbers was um, stretched out on his hammock, and all of a sudden, boom, this animal was crawling around on him. And he said, what is this? And he sort of freaked out. And what it was, it was a flying squirrel. And the flying squirrel came down to check him out and landed right on his chest and starts walking around. And uh, once he identified that it was like not a snake or something, uh, then he sort of relaxed and he got still and it happened to him several other times and he actually wanted it to happen. Now, if you climb a tree in the swamps, uh, which I have, you had better climb with a mosquito net. So we had this climb off one of the islands on the Georgia coast, and this is for a virgin stand of bald cypress trees. These are 150-foot trees. We came in by boat, and it was a two-hour hike to get into this virgin stand of bald cypress trees with a 50-pound pack on our back. And the, the climbing route was through suck mud. Suck mud is you, you wear knee-high boots, and every step you go at least to your calf muscle, if not to your knees. We hiked into these trees and climbed these trees, and we did it in the wintertime. And my thinking was, it's the dead of winter, and that means no mosquitoes. But we were in the swamps, and it was actually a bad idea because as I climbed, I looked down, I got about 100 feet up and the sun was setting. I saw this big swarm of mosquitoes and they were following the scent trail. And where were they going? They were going up. So we were what we call a mosquito meal that night. Because I didn't think there would be mosquitoes, I didn't bring, bring my mosquito netting, and guess what? I slept inside my sleeping bag with one nose sticking out. But on that climb, it was a primo climb for owl calling because we're way up high in a tree and I would call in a set of owls from far away from one direction and after they checked us out, they'd fly away. I would uh, point my voice in another direction and get another crowd of owls come over and check us out and they'd fly away. It was really great. So those are different experiences you can have in the trees. So there are the transcendent and exciting aspects of sleeping in a tree. And then there are the practical details. For example, cooking and eating involves attaching every single implement to cords, which Peter learned the hard way, 125 feet up a tulip tree, when a pot of chili fell victim to a windstorm. Other things Peter's learned over the years? When you spend the night in the tree, even in the middle of the summertime, it gets pretty cold. It gets chill. So come dressed for winter. Okay, that's doable. Okay, let's talk about having to pee in the tree. Oh, good God. Usually you don't have to do a number two. It's usually always, you got to pee. And so we have a rule about that. And the rule about that is you go up with pee bottles. Um, for women, they make special pee bottles that you can squat and, and pee. I didn't ask for more detail, but I can't actually wrap my mind around being in a hammock 100 feet in the air and squatting. And for guys, you just need a, a, a wide mouth plastic bottle. Okay, so here's the rule. Pee bottles are always clipped on a carabiner and they are stored at your feet. So if you wake up thirsty some night, all right, <laughs> you don't want to reach down and grab your pee bottle and you're like half awake. 
You don't want to be doing that. That's why you always put your pee bottle at your feet. Now, as for your drinking bottles and stuff, that's near your head. So that's, that's a rule. And we actually didn't find out the hard way, but that came through logic. Another thing, when you're in the trees, when you're sleeping in the trees, you have to always prepare for a quick evacuation because what can happen is you can see in the far horizon, you can see an electrical storm coming your way and you're always counting one, two, three, four, five. That's one mile. One, two, three, four, five. And you're, you're counting the seconds to see how far away it is. And I've been caught a couple times on sleepovers where uh, we had an electrical storm come right at us and we had to evacuate really quickly. And, and the reason you had to evacuate is because trees get struck by lightning because they're high objects and they are our natural targets for lightning strikes. And you really, really don't want to be in a tree when an electrical storm comes in. I did do one storm early on, just uh, I, I've climbed in all types of weather and I did one what I call a, a, a lightning storm climb and I just went by myself. It was a crazy thing to do. It was a stupid thing to do, yes, yes, very stupid. But I wanted to experience what the tree experienced with an electrical storm and all I can say is, is it's nothing but fear. Uh, trees get hit by lightning, trees get split apart, blown up by lightning, and when these lightning storms come in, especially if there's wind with them, it is nothing but terrifying. I was young and stupid, and <laughs> it was extremely intense. It's been a long time since Peter did that lightning storm climb, but he's still making his way up into the canopy, day and night and sharing all that he's discovered high up in the treetops. So I'm 73 years old now, and I can still climb. I can't climb very fast, but I can still climb. And as I go into my twilight years, uh, I hope I can still climb. The thing that the trees have given me is a natural perception that I can call up at any time. I can be walking down a street on a still day and just be just dumbstruck by a tree. Just all of a sudden, here's this beautiful tree, and I'll stop and I'll look. Wow, look at that. Tree climbing made me very sensitive to the trees around me. Much more so, I, I hear them, I listen to them, I watch them move. And then when I experience them, it's just... It's sort of a closeness. It's, it's brought me very close to the trees. When you climb a tree, you're climbing it to be with the tree. It's a place to be rather than a thing to do. It's like coming home. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. To find out more about Tree Climbers International, visit treeclimbing.com. Thank you to StoryWorth for sponsoring this episode. 
StoryWorth is a meaningful gift you and your family can treasure forever, and you can get started right away. Go to storyworth.com slash nocturne to get $10 off your first purchase. Nocturne is a proud member of Hub & Spoke Audio Collective, a group of smart, well-crafted, independent podcasts. One of those podcasts is called The Briny, and it's all about our connections with the ocean, how we're changing the sea, and how the sea changes us. The episode Turn Down for Whales is all about how the noise humans make in the ocean is creating problems for the creatures who live there. Listen to The Briny wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out all the other shows in Hub & Spoke at hubspokeaudio.org. Till next time, thanks for listening.